the Crease Cast. Here's your host, Lock in the Crease. Ladies and gentlemen, they did it. They finally did it. They won. The Canucks won a game. This is not a drill. They won a game and they did it convincingly. Six to three over the Colorado Avalanche uh, in a game where Nathan McKinnon tried to single-handedly will the Avs to victory once again because he's slowly becoming the new Milan Hayduk and, you know, beating the Canucks at every single turn. But not tonight. Not tonight, Nathan McKinnon. Um, this is a great, this, we got a really great episode tonight. Why am I introducing this like I'm a late night host? Um, we, I'm really excited, uh, later in the episode, I have an interview with Allison Lucan from the Athletic Columbus, uh, to help me set up, uh, tomorrow, uh, Sunday's game, or today's, uh, game, if you're listening to this on Sunday, which you likely are, um, as, uh, as a preview for the Canucks and Blue Jackets, uh, coming up later today. Um, and it was really nice to talk to her, and, uh, yeah, that interview is coming up in this episode, and, um, we'll get to that in a second, but right now we're talking about the, uh, the Canucks and the Avalanche. Not, now, we did, I did just record an episode on Thursday, so not much has changed. It's, 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 uh, the fact of the matter is the Canucks have gotten off the winning, have got off the losing skid, and they won a game against a tough, tough opponent. And that does, in fact, go a long way. Like it, it's that they were they got off the frame the mindset that they were blowing games, which was an issue over the last week. I mean, the the blown loss to Columbus, which I talk about later with Allison, um, and also the and also the fact that they blew a lead against the Coyotes in a game that I went to, and it was mind-bogglingly sad um, to see that that game go down the way it did. But. But the fact of the matter is they beat a team in the in the Avalanche, a bona fide playoff team, more or less, unless barring any completely unforeseen circumstances, a bona fide playoff team in the Avalanche, and they did it in and they did it with a full team effort. I mean, let's talk about the player of the game. The player of the game in this matchup was one hundred and ten percent. Mr. Big Mac himself, Zach McEwen, with two goals. He had two goals, and uh, and they were both and they were both great shots. Like that's the that's the thing that Zach Mc, one of the things that Zach McEwen has been talk that people have talked about Zach McEwen um, ever since he he's joined the team, which is the fact that he's big and he's got a deep shot. Like that shot is phenomenal. He he his skill his his skill goes far beyond the fact that he's physical. In the defensive end of the ice, he can score on the other end. It's and again, that's a skill that's kind of that's kind of hard to come by in today's game. It's a lot. It's a much smaller game, a much faster game. And Zach McEwen has all of the traits of a smaller player with a big frame. And that's and that and that's a great piece to have on your team. He's fast. He's got a great shot, a great heavy shot. And he can, and he can play physical, and he's big, and he's intimidating, and he's got a little bit of that uh, that shit disturber uh, element to him that the Canucks have sorely needed. Um, they've the, having him there has been a great as a breath of fresh air, and it's once again proving the fact that you don't need to have the most expensive guys in your depth role. In fact, it's most more likely that your games are going to be won by the cheaper, younger guys like Zach McEwen, like. Tyler Mott, who's had a decent run of late, uh, like like Adam Gaudet, who set up Antoine Roussel's goal with a great individual effort and a great pass to the slot uh, that Roussel tipped in past 
uh, Pavel Frankuz, who uh, who's had a good run of his own, and that was one of the games where he, it looked a, where they were able to bring him back to earth. It's it's been a, it's it's been a rough go for the Canucks, but this game was a huge turning point for them. Zach McEwen, I want to talk about especially about his third his goal right off the rush. It's an unassisted goal, but I will give props to Antoine Roussel who had the had a goal. His assist got taken away on this one, but he does make a great pick at the blue line. He's able to keep a he's able to make this this perfect pick that leaves the puck wide open for McEwen to break out and get the and get and break into the zone and get that shot that Frankus just can't get to. And that is a great that's a great heads up play. It's been a rough year for Antoine Roussel. Of course he had the injury early on and you you wonder and I've heard some people relate uh, talk about his season being a write off cuz he has not looked the same uh, since coming back from injury and that's totally fair. But those are the plays that are kind of making it seem like okay he might be kind of it's a, it's late but he's rounding into four into more of his regular form a little bit here and that's what we want to see from Antoine Roussel you want to see those types of games uh, from him and Zach McEwen for his own uh, for on his own point was very good he was putting himself in the right places and getting good chances chances that um, you know that a seasoned player that he was putting himself in positions that a seasoned player does and that. That matters. That really does matter, and it matters in the fact of if this team makes the playoffs, he's a guy that might that might win a spot on the playoff team on a playoff team over a veteran. A guy like like for example, Jay Beagle's out of the lineup. He's not a center. Zach McEwen's not a center. But hey, if he's playing, if uh, Beagle comes back, and they're like, okay, we need to get we need to cut somebody. We're not cutting Gaudet. He's do he's he's perfect in that third in that third line role. Um, and, um, Sutter can move to the, Sutter theoretically can be moved to the wing. If we want to keep Beagle, maybe, maybe Sutter's the odd man out here. You might look at this and say Sutter is the odd man out on this new group, uh, in, when it gets to the postseason and you have guys like Brock Besser possibly coming back and Josh Levo potentially coming back. It's, they, he might force some, a, a veteran out of the lineup, which would be huge for, and I think would make this team better overall than where they're at with the with the older guys in the lineup. So hopefully this bodes well and keeps him coming back. That's a keeps him in the lineup when injury when the injury bug hopefully clears up a little bit before the po- before a potential postseason run. And I think right now I'm going to take a quick look at the standings right now because of the fact the fact of the matter is this is what it's coming down to right now. The Canucks are 76 are tied for with 76 points. With the Winnipeg Jets, who have two, who the, the Canucks have two games in hand on, and the Nashville Predators, who the Canucks have one game in hand on, they also have two games in hand on the three Pacific teams above them right now, which is the Oilers, who currently are tied for the division lead. Um, it's geez, it's almost identical. The row, the only difference here is that Edmonton has one extra regulation win than the Vegas Golden Knights, who also have a very nice, who also have uh, 82 points in a very nice 69 games. Um, and uh, Calgary is just a step behind. They're only, a, they're, they've got a few less wins, a regulation wins on the table. They've, uh, they've won a few more games. They've had to resort to overtime games a little bit more uh, than they'd like to. They are seven, they have, but they're three, they are three points back. They're three points back right now. Um, this is, it's a tight race. It's really going to come down to these games. And the fact that the Canucks were able to beat a very tough team in the Avalanche and do it convincingly 
matters for their for their personal mindset. It's going to get them back into this mindset of okay, we can do this. This is this is our division to win. I mean, the Coyotes have fallen back a little bit. They're only two points back. Oh my God, this playoff race could really come down to anything. Chicago has 70 points. Yes, the Blackhawks are still in this race right now, technically speaking. It's it's that close. It really is going to come down to how many games can you win, especially against quality opponents. You do it's don't blow it's don't blow the games against the teams you have to beat. You 100% of the time should be beating, and it's also how many games can you beat against the quality teams? Because those points in a to a degree count as double, right? There it's a double point. It's double points in those games. For example, you've got the Coyotes again on the Coyotes and the Avalanche again next week. Um, say you beat, say you beat the Coyotes again, say you beat the Coyotes this time around, that's a swing, that's an added two, you add two points and the Coyotes add none, so you're technically increasing that lead to the goal. You're increasing that, that playoff position lead by, by essentially four points. So, you want, you want to make, you want to make, get those wins where you can right now. Um... Also, it was two thousand. It was it was two thousands night as well. Uh, on on in the the Friday game, it was a really fun game to watch. Overall, it did have a little bit of that two thousands meanness to it. It was the playoff atmosphere. Like if you remember, I we talked about this on the last episode. Chris Faber and I did. Um, um, how you know there it was it was it was a different. It was such. A, it's though that era really shaped who we became as fans. And this game really had that kind of a feel to it, where it was a bit of a gritty effort from the Canucks. Like, yes, the scoring was very much on point in this game, but there was hitting, and there was and there was uh, tough and there was tough uh, battles in front of the net. A uh, couple scrums here and there between two teams who don't like I wouldn't say have a, much of a rivalry these days anymore, but they sure used to when they played in the Northwest Division together, um, and. It was cool to kind of see that come back, especially when you have guys like uh, when they have the when they bring out Brad May and Brendan Morrison, my first favorite and to this day most favorite skater, Canuck skater of all time. Remember, I am a goalie person, so the goalies have always become number one in my hearts. After that, uh, and and I'm sure we will be talking about one of those uh, one of those gentlemen, my my all time hero uh, later in the show. Uh, but for now. Let's. Uh, they brought out Alex Ald. They brought out Brendan Morrison and Brad May, and that was really cool to see. It was kind of interesting that those were the only players that they brought out, especially because, like, I mean, Alex Ald was a really cool Canuck. He still does stuff around the team. He still does, I believe, radio hits and does. Um, he does the pod. He does a podcast, I think, as well for Sportsnet now. Um, but you know, he he was he was major for one season. Brad May had. Moments, but he wasn't. I. I mean, I think most Canucks fans nowadays probably don't even think of Brad May when they think of those teams. They'll probably think of him briefly, but it's not. He wasn't like an integral piece of, the, of those groups. Um, Brendan Morrison definitely was. Brendan Morrison was a star on the West Coast Express line. He was very pe- huge piece of that Naslin Bertuzzi combo, and it was weird not to see any of those guys come out. But also, I guess you know, I'm guessing it would have been looked at as distasteful if they brought out Todd Bertuzzi. Uh, if they brought out Todd Bertuzzi in 
in an Avalanche game, in a game against the Avalanche, I think people would have looked at that as a little bit uh, distasteful. So maybe that was a good call, saying, well, why don't you, Bert, why don't, why don't you sit this one out, huh? Um, but I'm surprised they didn't come out with a couple more players. Um, but at the end of the day, it was really cool to kind of get that moment where you get to see uh, all the Canucks coming out in their old uniforms and uh, in the old Orca jerseys that I grew up with. Um, and getting to recognize some of the old memories, like uh, especially for me, the old, the the later teams with Luongo, with Luongo and the Sedins who came out. Um, you know, um, those teams I grew up with. Those teams, especially, I remember bits and pieces of the um, West Coast Express era, but it's not as prominent for me uh, because I was a little bit younger. I do. I will say this: there was one memory I didn't talk about on the last episode that I have very vivid memories of, and it's it's a we- it's it's not weird. It's just like a it's a very it's a very, it's an interesting one. Um, I have a memory of, there's, there's this place, um, in East, uh, I believe it's East Van. Um, there's this, there's this, ice, if you've never been to Vancouver, there's this ice cream parlor, uh, that serves, that claims to serve like, I believe what, it's like 200 flavors or something. It's like 230 flavors or something. It's, it's one of those, you can't miss it buildings. It's a, it's like, a, I think it's gelato officially. It's like a gelato place that serves 230-something flavors or something ridiculous, some ridiculous number of flavors. Um, And I remember going there during Game 7 of the 2003 first round against St. Louis. And the reason I know that is because I remember sitting in my parents' in in one of my... um, I think it was my grandparents' car, actually. It was my grandparents' car... um, with my ice cream, with the radio on CKNW, listening to John Shorthouse and Tom Larshide call Game 7. Um, and, you know, I was at that age where I loved the... I already knew I liked the Canucks, but I hadn't reached the fandom level yet, but I remember sitting in the car during that game, particularly, I think, during, like, the third period when Trevor Linden scored. Like, that that sounds really familiar to me, that, that Trevor Linden call and being in the car when that puck went in. I knew there were goals. That's how I remember this so well, is that I remember hearing the, goal, the goals being called, uh, Shorty calling the goals. And... That's a special memory to me, and it was really cool to see, especially Brendan Morrison come out, who is part, such an integral part of the, that team, and um, it, it, and you know, it's it's a memory. It, those those are the memories that build your fandom, and it was awesome to have that night to recognize the two thousands era, especially for the younger generation of fans who grew up with those teams, as opposed to the eighty two team and the ninety four team, because we you know we just weren't old, and we were either not alive for them in my case, or in some other people's cases, they were they were alive but just not old enough to remember them. So this 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 group is very special to a to a different to a, to a key demographic of fans who are right now growing up and um, are going to lead the charge in the next uh, of the for the fans in the next era that like it matters to us specifically. Um, one other thing before we go on to the interview portion, uh, is, uh, the insurance, uh, the insurance line was amazing yesterday. They had, a, they had a great game. Uh, there were points where Jake Vertanen was playing with, uh, Bo Horvat, I believe, with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, especially because he started the game on the fourth line. Um, but it made, in a way, that was kind of just how it worked out. There was no better place to put him. I kind of would like to see McEwen playing with Horvat and maybe move Vertanen up to the third and have Erickson on the fourth. But I digress. The insurance line did its job. 
and they they shut down the game later in the in the air in the in the in the later stages when they needed to. And then you have uh, Louis Erickson, Anita Hero, setting up Tanner Pearson for the empty netter. And uh, Pearson's on track to pause. If you know, you can get a couple more, get a couple more Tanner Pearson empty netters. You could, uh, you could have yourself a, a record-breaking season, I believe. So there's, there's, there's some. That's an interesting little, little factoid there. Um, the fact that the Horvat line can do that and play against those tougher opponents, play against like the tougher matchups, shut them down there, and then go back the other way and put up points on the board is amazing. And it's the bat. I think it's they are clearly the most well-rounded line the Canucks have. Um, I would prefer, again, to maybe have somebody other than Louis Erickson on their right side, but hey, it's working. But it, it, it's I would prefer to just see Erickson with Horvat and Pearson exclusively late in the game um, versus, you know, the, through the first two periods. But I like, I like having that insurance line and that group that can play well defensively. And it's good to kind of see that Louis Erickson has found a use on this lineup because that was the problem the last four years or however long it's been. Jeez, it's been too long. Um, yeah, four years. Wow. Um, the four scenes before this, the problem was you just, you, you, the, you, there was no use for him. There was no place for him in the lineup. It just didn't work. Um, and there was not, no matter where they put him, nothing was going, nothing was clicking. He was getting hurt this year. He's been more or less. He's been pretty, he's been healthy. And he found a place in the lineup that works and that where it works. And again, I think there are other players that can maybe do his job better than he can. But at the very least, when he's in the lineup, he's contributing. And with that, let's go to the interview portion of this episode. I talked to Allison Lucan from the Athletic Columbus um, about what she's doing and, uh, over there in regards to uh, the analytics side of the game, as well as just going in depth on the, the Blue Jackets at, at large and uh, what's made them so successful this season, uh, in particular, particular into the mass exodus of players and injuries that they've sustained over the course of the season. They are still very much in the playoff race. Right now, they sit currently in the second wild card spot. They did lose to Edmonton tonight, but they do have 79 points and they do have a two point lead on the Carolina Hurricanes for that second wild card spot, which is a shocking story to say the least, and a story that hasn't been talked about enough, in my opinion. And we went into that, as well as a little bit of a preview of what to expect from when the Canucks and Jackets meet for the second time in just over a week. Have a listen. All right, joining me today uh, on the show, uh, she's a writer at The Athletic Columbus, and she's also the uh, co-host on the Front Nationwide podcast and uh, the excellently named Too Many Men podcast. Uh, welcome to the show, Allison Lucan. Allison, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for mentioning both shows. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I listen to both of them. I enjoy. I think they're both awesome shows to listen to, especially the the Too Many Men is new, but it's a it's I'm already loving it. <laughs> we are having um, a ton of fun. We had no idea how much people would respond to it, so we're just we're just really thankful for the feedback we've gotten on it. Hopefully, people keep tuning in and we keep saying stuff that's interesting enough that makes it worth it. <laughs> awesome. Um, and j- just so people get an idea of just how. Uh, of how great a person you are. Uh, you're actually doing this while uh, you're at the uh, Sloan Analytics Conference in uh, Boston. How has that been going? <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's been going really great. I think that this is a neat topic. 
time to not just ke- catch up with hockey folks, but because it's across all sports, um, you can find maybe some different ways to think about sports, some different ways to think about, in my case, hockey or whichever sport you follow. So it's just been a, a really cool weekend with former players around as well. So kind of rejuvenating as well as these kind of dog days of the season come to an end. Yeah, yeah, and I was, and I wanted to ask you. Obviously, this this season for the Blue Jackets has been uh, has been has been very interesting to say the least. It's a it's a shame that in Vancouver uh, we don't get as much talk about the the Blue Jackets because they've been one of the best stories of the season. What has this year been like for you to cover the team? Yeah, it's, and and honestly, it's funny. I, I do agree. I think that this is one of the years where this story probably isn't getting as much attention as it, as it deserves. So I'm sure everyone is aware of the kind of talent exodus, as uh, people like to paint it, that happened this summer with Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin leaving. And, you know, most people basically said, well, the Blue Jackets are out of it. They're going to be terrible. They're, they're going to be you know, one of the bottom teams in the league. And I never really agreed with that, just knowing the talent, particularly in their defensive core that they had. I I thought that they would be in the conversation for the better part of the season. And the team starts off really rough. Um, They're playing well. They're playing the way they're supposed to, but they can't get results. And then about a month in, they start falling to injuries. And, you know, respectfully, we all know that there are players on our teams who make our teams and players who maybe have less of an impact. These were significant players. These were players like Josh Anderson, Cam Atkinson, Zach Wierenski, and and going down to injuries like broken ribs and, you know, broken bones and things like this. And then in December, this team, which has been averaging seven to eight starters out a night all season, just goes on a tear, gets themselves back in the playoff conversation. And even as the injuries continue to mount now, Oliver Bjorkstrand is out, Seth Jones is out, they've had one of their goaltenders out going back to December, it, they're still in a wild card spot. Um, and it's going to be interesting. They're certainly hobbled from a talent perspective, but even if this group doesn't make the postseason, what they've done is really really remarkable given where everyone thought they would be and then dealing with the adversity of the injuries that they've had absolutely and i mean i'm looking at the list of all the the players who are injured right now and it's a it is a it there's a lot of well-known names on that on that list and like even though they're like by a country mile one of them like the most man games lost in the league they're they're very much fighting in the playoff spot playoff hunt like what has been the key for them uh staying in the playoff race yeah it's a great question i think that at times it's been different parts of their game. I think that in that really hot streak in that December and January time frame, they got very, very good play from Elvis Merzlikens, um, who's their new goaltender who came over from the Swiss League uh, last year. Um, then it was so much the stifling defensive play. So the entire team has been focusing, like I said at the start, I mentioned that the strength of this group was their defense, their defensive core. And so the entire team has adopted a very aggressive forechecking, offensively suppressing of their opponent's mentality that goes into their forward group as well. And so they've been, until lately, they've been like one of the top three to four teams in the league in terms of suppressing their opponent's offense. So that has been another key for them. Offense has been hard, to be honest, um, hard to come by for this group. Right. But uh, 
depending on the night, um, that defensive play and or that goaltending has really backed up this group to, to just to find a way to get a win. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I uh, on a few episodes back, I na- I made myself the uh, Vancouver chapter president of the Elvis Merzlikens fan club uh, <laughs> because he is just such a fun guy and he's such a character, and I love seeing his celebrations after victories, and uh, and he seems like just all around crazy guy. Um, uh, what's the uh, what's the uh, his update right now on his injury, and um, is he just as fascinating in person as he is on TV? Yeah, well, um, going into tonight's game in Edmonton, um, it looks like he is is possibly going to be the backup. Um, He's coming back from a a, a concussion uh, that he suffered a few games back, not deemed it to be very, very serious, but it seems that he is on the mend. He obviously took the trip with the team. Um, And he, he is, he's quite fascinating. It was really interesting to watch him and get to know him obviously a guy who named Elvis is already going to draw some attention <laughs> and this was this is a guy who you know honestly I don't know that at the end of the day he's that much different than a lot of the players in the NHL but what's different about him is that he's willing to show so much of his personality we all know kind of what the stereotype is for the prototypical NHL player and the things that they say and and how they act and, and Elvis is really willing to be a lot more open about what he's thinking and and who he is, what he's about, his emotions. And and I find that fascinating. I think that the league is only better when you have more personality like that. He's a really thoughtful guy. He's interesting. I think he's interested in many, many things, but he and he will share that. I think he's perhaps one of the most openly competitive guys. Um, stories going all the way back to training camp where his our goaltending coach in Columbus played golf, Elvis didn't know how to play golf, so Elvis set out to practice every day until he could be able to beat his goaltending coach at golf. He wanted to (laughs) run towards his two-mile run in the amount of time, so he ran it every day for a week in Latvia until he could beat the time. That's amazing. (laughs) Just obsessive about this kind of stuff. But I think, too, what's been really interesting is that um, he did not have a good start to his NHL career. He gets seven hung on him in his first start against Pittsburgh. He doesn't get a win until New Year's Eve in Columbus after Eunice Corpusalo gets hurt. Um, And what is very interesting to me is this guy's character and perseverance um, to fight through it and then to end up being player of the week twice, player of the month, um, once in the league, excuse me, he got a star of the week. Um, To to go through that, you have to imagine that it's so mentally taxing, particularly when you've put yourself in attention's way and you're a goaltender, and we all know what that can do for, for what you ask or blame a player to do. Um, so I think he's been, he's stood up well to what has been truly a very unconventional year for an unconventional player. Absolutely, and it's and this team it's in itself is uh, it kind of fits the bill for that group. They have there are they are an un- unconventional kind of group that's still f- managing to win a lot of games this season, um, including a really big one against the Canucks last week, where they 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 were down three to one. And I've I've done a little bit of yelling and screaming about the Canucks uh, losing that game, but I'm sure uh, on the Blue Jacket side of things that that was a huge victory for them. What was the reaction like from them after winning that game? Yeah, it, it was an insane game. Um, everyone who's a Canucks fan knows what happened there, too. I, for this group, though, I mean, taking kind of the, the sting out of it, it was a very important win. Um, they have struggled 
quite a bit since they lost Seth Jones to the ankle injury, not just because of what he does on the ice, but who he is for this team as a leader and as a tone setter. And that was really the first game, and not even the whole game, it wasn't probably until the third period. That was the first game where I think the Blue Jackets were able to click back in to how they need to play. And to do that and then find success at the same time, I think is a very, very big thing for them in terms of their mental approach. Um, I think we saw that it improved their play in the last game against Calgary. Uh, although they fell off of that one at the end, they had kind of done to them what they had done to the Canucks prior. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is, is a sting. Um, it's a great story when you look just at the stat line, but it's going to be very interesting if the Blue Jackets can hang on to returning to seeing success and playing the right way uh, like they did that earned them that victory over Vancouver. Um, now, one player who really stood out to me in that game uh, was Zach Wierenski, and I've, I've I've followed him for a good amount of time because he is uh, he's one of those defensemen who definitely does not get enough appreciation for what he's able to do. Like on that, I believe it's like on the second goal, of the, uh, the Jackets goal, he just w- w- it looked like he was deking in a phone booth, and he still managed to get a puck <laughs> over to Riley Nash for that for the shot over Louis Domingue. Um, what yeah. what has been the key to bring having him uh, become such an important contributor to the offense, especially under a, a John Tortorella system that's very defense first. Yeah, it, it's um, it's funny because I mean I know of course Canucks fans are familiar with John Tortorella. Um, he has really evolved who he is as a coach um, and what the identity of his team is. Specific to Zach Wierenski, when Wierenski came to the team um, after he left school. Uh, John Tortorella really changed his approach, um, which now aligns with how so many um, forward-thinking teams are playing, which is an active back end, and saying that your offense comes from your back end. He does not even refer to Zmeklarenski as a defenseman. He calls him a rover um, to play off of his offensive ability. And, and you know, Zmeklarenski was in the Calder conversation uh, his rookie year, too, um, for how talented he is. So he's always had that offensive talent, and Torts has always been willing to unleash that, if you will. Last season was about rounding out his game so that he can be more strong in all three zones, be sounder positionally, play better defense. And ultimately, I think that that paid off huge dividends because now what we're seeing we see this all the time with star players. You know, they're often playing together, and in this case, it's Wierenski with Seth Jones. And so the question always becomes, well, who is one without the other, right? And so I think that now what we're seeing is, who is Zach Wierenski when Seth Jones is out of the lineup? And there have been some growing pains for him there, but we're seeing him start to own that responsibility and become sounder defensively. He's still making some mistakes being kind of the guy now, but be sounder defensively and to your point in the Vancouver game, be willing to say, you know what, screw it, I'm taking this game, I'm putting it on my back, and I'm going to use my talents, I'm not going to be afraid to use my talents offensively to do what I can to help win this game for my team. Right, right, and especially um, in Vancouver, we know like we took a key notice of that because of the fact that we've seen a lot of games from Quinn Hughes this year, where it's been like that, where exactly. he's taken that, where he's just been like, okay, I am gonna win this game for the group, and that's and there's nothing the opponent can do about it. That was a very Quinn Hughes esque game from Marensky, and we all, and we all got a firsthand lesson in that. Um, if you're the and now if you're the Canucks going into tomorrow, obviously they're the Jackets are playing Edmonton tonight, so they are going to be playing the second of a back to back. If you're Vancouver, what 
uh, if you're the Canucks, what are you uh, looking at in terms of trying to uh, beat the Blue Jackets, essentially? Yeah, I mean, they're obviously a depleted team offensively now. We did talk about the players who left, and it did hurt this group. And now you've got your best offensive players in Josh Anderson, Cam Atkinson, and Oliver Bjorkstrand all out. Um, only Cam Atkinson could potentially come back this the rest of the regular season, and he is not even on the trip. So you want to try and stifle this team offensively. And the defense, while being the core of this team, is hobbled from injury as well. So getting inside on this group, getting to the dangerous areas and really challenging the Blue Jackets goaltenders, those are kind of, if you can do those two things, you're taking away the elements that have made the Blue Jackets successful this season. And uh, I guess finally, the Jackets have, there's a, a pr- have a pretty tough schedule ahead of them. One, I believe one of the tougher in terms of, uh, bou- in terms of balance of opponents. Um, how confident are you in this team's ability to make the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, I, my, my new joke is that I learned not to predict anything related to this team. It <laughs> surprised me all season, um, both good and bad. So I think that if this group can continue to play their game, they will remain in the conversation till the end. Um, and I think that that in itself is a big statement against all the things that we've talked about already. Um, it is a tough schedule. What I'm not worried about with this group is that so much of it is on the road. They've historically been better on the road, um, but they are going to have to win more than they lose. And for me, the key stretch is going to be here in mid-March when they face the biggest share of their interconference games. Obviously, those four-point games, they're going to have to get the majority of those to stay in the hunt because it's such a tight clump there for the wild card spot in the East. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, it uh, and hopefully uh, next time the the jackets make the trip out to Vancouver, uh, we can maybe get you in to do the do the show live at some point. Absolutely, I would love it. Vancouver is one of my favorite spots on earth, so uh, always happy to support folks that cover them. And, and if I'm even out there in person, that's all the better reason for me. <laughs> yeah. Did you lose? Did you lose the uh, the uh, the bet to go to come out and do this trip, or was that just kind of part of the plan? <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll be, yeah, it's a, it's we love it out here and uh again, I would love to come out to I'm sh- I'm hoping to come out to Columbus at some point in the in the future cuz I've heard it's I've heard it's an a very underrated uh city uh, to to watch hockey in. Uh well, thank you so much for doing this and uh hope to have you on again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, Again, huge thanks to Allison for coming on the show, and I will post links to um, some of her work as well as where you can follow her on Twitter in the description of this episode. One last thing I want to talk about before we call this an episode, um, Roberto Luongo got his jersey retired, and I know I already talked about this on the last episode, but this is the Luongo podcast. It might as well be. And, you know, it was really, ex- I watched the, uh, the whole retirement ceremony today and it was very beautiful. It was well, it was, it was, it was pretty well done by the Panthers. It, I will say this, there was not enough people in the stands and yeah, I get that. Yes. I know that getting, making fun of Florida for having poor attendance is, is, is kicking, kicking them while they're down. It's just beating a, beating a dead horse, you know? Um, 
But, you know, it's too bad that there weren't more fans at that because he deserves a full crowd. And, you know, but and that's not really why you do it, why you do this. It's for recognizing the person for what he did and for who he is. Um, and Roberto was a great ambassador for the game in South Florida, as well as here in Vancouver. And he was a, as good a person off the ice as he was on it. And that is something you can't always say about athletes. You know, like, you know how it is sometimes, you know, a lot of athletes, you know, or just people in general, the people that you look up to, um, sometimes they don't turn out to be so great. There is, you hear a lot about it a lot these days, especially with social media, that, you know, the people that you idolize aren't always the coolest people and aren't always great. Um, and they, outside the bubble that you hope that they, that you see them in. Um, and that's why I'm, and I'm, I'm always really happy with, uh, with the fact that my hero is Roberto Luongo as far as hockey goes, because the more I hear about, the more I know about Roberto Luongo, the better I like him. And I think the better most people like him. It's, he's a, he's a wonderful person, a wonderful, um, human being, a great goaltender and somebody who absolutely deserved his Jersey retirement tonight. Uh, in Florida, and the ceremony's great. It's great to see Kevin BX and Alex Burroughs there to, to there to witness it. Um, and of course, I'm sure they will be be here in Vancouver uh, when Luongo eventually gets his jersey retired here by the Canucks. It's going to happen. I it will 110% happen. I will I will talk this into existence, no matter what. Luongo, Louis, buddy, I love you. Come on the podcast, and we will keep working on this initiative to get your jersey retired by the Canucks. I will buy one of those banners, those like little mini banners that were hanging that were sitting on the seats at the BB&T Center in Florida today. I will buy one of those and I will secret and I will like hook it to something on the wall at Rogers Arena. I'll just let it sit there and be like, "Yep, yep, you it's retired. I'll do if, if that's what it's going to take. I'll if I'll do that. I will do it." Um I don't I will, Louie, get on the podcast. We will make sure that you get your jersey retired by the Canucks because you 110% deserve it. Um, one of the greatest of all time, uh, my absolute hero, and uh, I am so happy to wa- I was so happy to get to watch his jersey get retired, even if it was by the Panthers and not by the Canucks. It was very great to see and just as deserving. And yes, hopefully it does happen here in Vancouver at some point. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Crease Cast. I've been locking the crease. Uh, if you enjoy this episode, uh, be sure to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash locking the crease. Uh, for three bucks a month, you get four bonus episodes of the show. And because I'm trying to get a lot of cool guests on the, sh- on the podcast this, uh, this month, like, like Allison, like Chris and my, uh, upcoming, my upcoming guest for uh, next week's up ep- for next week's episode, I can confirm we have Kat Silverman from In Goal Media coming on uh, to talk about the Coyotes as well as the as well as just all things goalie, which is really exciting. Um, but I-, I digress. In regards to the Patreon, we uh, I am going to be doing a couple bonus doing bonus episodes, but they will not be just a regular episode of the show. They'll be uh, completely unnewsy. They won't be a news based episodes they'll be a little bit more just fun like they might be a mailbag or they might be um just on an individual story of like a hockey story um but they won't they won't be this format they'll be a different kind of format because i want to make a bunch of episodes um with guests and i want to do those on the public on the public section so i'm going to 
uh, drop some ideas for some bonus episodes, and those will be coming out in the next couple weeks as well. So keep your eyes out for that and join the Patreon. You get all four of them for only three bucks a month. It's a good deal, and it helps support the site and helps support me doing more of these episodes. Um, and it's, I really appreciate it. Um, you can, if you don't have, if you don't have that, that income at the moment, you can just, you can also support me by, uh, just reading my work at dailyhive.com slash offside. I write for them. I also write at passagebullis.com, uh, and, uh, fearthefin.com for some, if you're ever looking for some San Jose Sharks coverage. And, uh, with that, I think we're going to call this an episode. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Uh, also, you can subscribe on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Google Play. And if there is a podcast outlet that I am not on yet, please reach out and tell me so I can so I can make sure it gets there and gets published on that that site. Anchor has it as well. Obviously, we're through Anchor, so check that out as well. And yeah, this has been the Crease Cast. Thank you for listening. And yeah, let's let's not blow another three period lead. Let's let's start a new trend, guys. The the Avalanche game was a good was the start of a new trend. I hope. Please, please, please. Let's make the playoffs. Good night.